Good morning. Um, so I got a week off and now I'm back on. So, <laughs> so it's been really good um, uh, for me personally and, and I hope for my family as well um, for me to be disciplined uh, to the extent that I have been the past few weeks in reading and studying God's word. It's been a huge benefit to my heart, and I hope that you guys can help reap the benefits of that today, this morning. So let's, uh, let's pray for our hearts this morning as before we dig into this word. God, again, we cannot thank you enough for your people and allowing us to gather together to read your holy word. God, we are so thankful that you have given us your word, that we can know who you are and your character and what you have done for us. God, guide our hearts today. If there, are any, if there is anything in your word that is prodding our hearts, that, that maybe rubs us the wrong way, that we may seek your word and we may turn to repentance and faith that your son Jesus has died for this for yourself and for us God give me the words to speak today and I pray this in the name of your son Jesus Amen so <clears throat> Over the past year and more, we've been going through Ephesians, and it's been a wonderful journey. Um, but today we're going to look at Ephesians 6:18 through 20, a, co a continuation from the armor of God. We're going to discover things about prayer and kind of what it's about. But first, what I want to do is I kind of want us to go through um, and kind of review where we have been from the beginning of Ephesians all the way up to this point, okay? So please feel free to follow with me in the Bible. Um, we're going to be in Ephesians 1, 2, 3, 4, and then 5, so in, in that order. So it'll be good. So Ephesians 1 through 3 is about believing the gospel. What is the gospel and, and how we are to believe it? So um, we need to believe the gospel, but in order to believe the gospel, we need to know what it is and what it says about our relationship to God. So, Ephesians 1, starting in verse 5, In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he has set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven 
and things on earth. Then we can get into Ephesians 2 and we can understand what our relationship was like with God. Ephesians 2, starting verse 1. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And then we get an idea of this application, especially in Paul's life when we go to three. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given. To preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring the light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. Amen, right? It's great. So Ephesians 4, 6 through 9, we're told to live the gospel. And he does this in a variety of different ways. We get a further breakdown of what it means to, to live in the gospel, uh, whether we're parents or children or even in, uh, in, in the case that I preached on on, on our uh, Thanksgiving was the worker, you know, under authority. What does that look like? And he gave the apostles, Ephesians 4, 11, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the f knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And then Ephesians 5, um, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So Ephesians 6, starting at 10, we fight the cause because it's going to be war. And we fight it, not ill-equipped, but with armor. And he says here, Ephesians six ten. finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Paul is experiencing first here 
and even physically, what is the potential result of spiritual warfare? As you may know, I am, uh, I am an elder candidate to be. Um, as Anthony said it, uh, candidate elect, which I am both, so I'm elect and a candidate. Get it? Pun on words. <laughs> but um, I've, it's it's, it's been a rough road for me. Um, we could see this, you know, from the beginning of Greg six years ago, and all the way up to Greg now, and and I can't help but reflect on that and and just think about how gracious God is. And how loving he is for bringing me to that point. Lots of repentance, lots of seeking wisdom, and, and, and all of those things I've been attacked. Um, especially um, here, you know, in the past couple months and, and even this week, I've felt uh, a lot of loneliness um, in my heart. Um, and I don't think it's not for a reason. I think that there are spiritual attacks in my life. There are things that are happening in my life that want me to not do uh, what God has been calling me to. And that's why these words are so important this morning. That this armor of God that we wear, this gospel that we cling to, is so important. And we can see this in Paul because it brings him through everything. He is laser-focused on the gospel. And he does this through prayer. I think we all have been in similar situations to mine. I'm not trying to say that I'm unique in any way. Um, I believe Satan's lies before. I think we all have. I think daily sometimes we do that. And, and what he wants us to do is he wants us to just be so off target that we, that we miss, even by a hair, but we're still missing. And I've had the opportunity and, and the privilege to, to ask many people here, um, especially my elders, um, to pray for me, to pray that I would... Um, be a good leader for my family, that I wouldn't let these temptations overtake me, that when my heart is struggling, um, that God would persevere in my life um, and, and other people in the congregation teaching me to trust in Christ. And that's something that I try um, also to teach to my family. And through this, uh, my daughter went to a daycare, a Christian daycare, um, and she learned the Lord's Prayer, right? Lenny, you get it, Marley? Yeah, you can smile. You know what I'm talking about. So like every time we pray, it's the Lord's Prayer. If we're eating, it's the Lord's Prayer. If we're going to bed, it's the Lord's Prayer. And she always has to pray, right? And we want to encourage this, but sometimes she messes up the words. She's not very... Uh, consistent with her speech like she'll say by will by be done and you know stuff like that and and then marley um always helps correct her gently into the right direction of where she should be going and um i talked to her last night i was like 
why do you say that? And, and she's like, she's like, that's how I know how to pray. And I'm like, well, we could say other things in our prayer. And I think Paul shows us that in here as we begin. So the first point here. It's to keep alert with all perseverance by praying in the Spirit for all things. So I'm going to read 18 on here. It says, Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making the supplications for all the saints, and also for me, that the words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Keep alert with all perseverance by praying in the Spirit for all things. Paul is their leader right now in Ephesians. He planted this church. He's leading and he's facing great spiritual warfare on their behalf. He is this, I, I think there can be an analogy of chains holding him down, but he is actually in literal physical chains as he is writing this letter. He is experiencing the physical effects of the spiritual battle that is being waged. He is imprisoned because of his willingness to be bold in the gospel. And Paul is experiencing a lot of suffering to this end of him, being in prison in chains. But what does Paul ask his followers to do? What does Paul ask Christians, Christ followers, to do? Keep alert and pray. Praying in the Spirit. This may, um, and it is, if you have the ESV, is lumped into the heading of our Bibles of the armor of God. But this is not a weapon, so to speak. It is, however, like the other parts of our armor, something that is God-equipped and God-enabled. Paul adds prayer not because he thinks of prayer as another, though unnamed, weapon, but because it is to pervade all our spiritual warfare. Equipping ourselves with God's armor is not a mechanical operation in itself. It is itself an expression of our dependence on God, first and foremost. Our expression of our dependence of God is prayer, through prayer, prayer in all things. So there are four universals that should make up a Christian prayer. We should be praying regular and at all times. Prayer can be varied in its form. Do you know, unlike Lenny, um, she, she uses the Lord's Prayer. It's beautiful. I mean, Christ said it. He, that's how he taught us how to pray, right? Um, but we, we can also see in, throughout Scripture that prayer, supplication, thanksgivingness, they all kind of vary in different forms. And, and since I've been going through the Psalms, I could kind of I could see that 
you know, some tension between man and God, and then also when man is in God at rest and peace in him. So it, it could be many different shapes. It could be different sizes. I try to make mine short, um, concise, but sometimes they can be long, you know, and, and that's okay too. The thing is that we need to focus on our speech and what we are saying, knowing that this is God-equipped. This is a way we communicate with God. And it is perseverant because we need to keep alert and not give up or be found asleep. Supplication for all the saints. So he, t- he says here, in supplication for all the saints, um, what does that speak of? Well, I believe that this is the most fundamental point of all Christian prayer in life. Supplication. Supplication is the action of asking or begging for something earnestly and humbly. This isn't a genie in the bottle asking. This is uh, asking humbly, aligning yourself with God. So we can see the emphasis in this passage here on all the saints. First, we need to see from the context, we see that Paul is lumping himself into all. So the supplication is something that's not just for selfish gain, but it has a greater greater meaning. So this supplication, this asking, this begging, this humbly asking before the throne of God is not something for selfish gain. So that's, I think, where some of us maybe even err in our own personal lives. We want to ask for things, but I am getting ahead of my sermon right now. So... I think in the supplication, in, in asking humbly, in pursuing the greater meaning of prayer in relationship with God, this is, this is a meaning for unity. And I think specifically in the context of Paul, why he's writing to the Ephesians and for himself is unity in the body, unity in suffering, unity in need. The unity of God's new society must be reflected in our prayers. After all, this has been a major preoccupation of Paul's letters. Unity, everywhere we can see it. Unity in Christ, conforming to Christ, putting off the old self, putting on Christ. Our supplications are not for selfish gain. So I ask you, Christian, what does your prayer life look like? I could say that most Christians pray with some sort of perseverance and some even to greater degrees than others. But this isn't the command that some parts or even some of our prayers be prayed with perseverance, but that all in each of us, we would bring, it would bring us to a fuller dimension of prayer. It's perseverance and supplication for unity. I urge you to pray with perseverance in supplication for the people of God. But always being alert that the battle, the battle of the Christ follower 
particularly um, in us as a people we are engaged in. Being alert is probably one of the most important aspects in perseverance. How do you know what to pray for if you're not alert to it? How do you know what you're praying for is right if you're not alert? Christ, Christ was extremely vigilant in his understanding and experience of spiritual warfare. He knew what it meant to be watchful. And as we learned this, uh, this past weekend, he knew what it was like to suffer. One of the things I, I didn't grasp fully until this weekend was the idea of Christ suffering his entire life, being born holy in a broken world. He warned in the garden that his apostles not fall asleep. He said that the devil is always on the prowl like a hungry lion it was a failure to obey these commands that led the apostles into their disastrous disloyalty. The similar fail- failure or the lack of alertness leads to similar disloyalty today. Are we alert? Do we know what's going on? And if we don't, we could find ourselves in disastrous disloyalty. We are sinful and at the core disloyal people. Me and many of you cannot get past our pride and humble ourselves to be servants of something, something more that will lead us into a beautiful unity with God and his people, treasuring Christ the whole way. Are you treasuring Christ? Are we as Renovation Church, we as a people, you individually, are you treasuring Christ? What do prayers, what do your prayers, and I lump myself in here, my prayers say about my unity? My unity to his local body, our unity to the leadership God has ordained, and for his kingdom's sake. How are you seeking unity with your brothers and sisters in Christ? Through prayer, supplication, or is it always personal? Has disdain and malice, unholy language, entered your conversations about his body? Gossip is the antithesis to unity, and it will devour. How are we using our words? Let's go into a little bit more about what gossip is. Gossip is anything that creates disunity. It is wrong information discussed in darkness. Unconstrained conversations or reports about other people 
typically involving details that are not confirmed as being true. Gossip can wreak havoc on unity. And it creates havoc where there should be none or there is none in the first place. How are we pursuing unity? How are we pursuing unity in the light of this warfare? How are we praying for unity? This morning, the hungry lion is waiting to devour you. Without prayer, prayer with perseverance and the alertness that leads to unity, we are too feeble and flabby to stand against the forces of evil. We are. And we can see this in nature as well, what unity is. Um, I have a school of fish analogy. I got it from PBS. Um, so they have this cartoon shark, and he's like, he's coming in. He's a lion. He's ready to annihilate this individual, okay? And it's a tiny little fish, right? Unity brings an entire school of fish together to make it look like it's bigger than the shark, right? And then the shark won't even attack. He won't even get near it. Um, so this idea, it communicates unity to me when I think about it that way. A group of people being bigger and battling against the war, battling against the predators that we know are seeking to devour us. Because that's what, that's what he does. The shark eats the little fish. And if left alone, the fish will be devoured. Uh, I know it's kind of a weird analogy, but it works in my head. And hopefully it communicates well <laughs> with you guys. But we need to pray we need to pray for that in unity. We need to pray for supplications. And it's not for ourselves, but it's for all the saints. We are members of one another. None of us are going to do well on our own. None. So we need prayer, and we need the loyalty to one another that brings about unity. In verse 19, he says, and also for me. So he talks about these prayers and supplication for the saints. And then he himself, the leader, Paul, lumps himself in here and he says, and also for me, that the words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. Pray for our elders that they may speak boldly in the gospel. Paul says, also for me. Also for me, to pray also for him. The missionary founder of this church, the example, so to speak, the under-shepherd, is asking for prayer. Think about how wise this is. Paul knew his need for strength to stand against the enemy. 
enemy. And he was humble enough to ask his friends to pray for him. What is Paul asking? I think about what he didn't ask for. He didn't ask that God would miraculously free him so he could continue in his evangelistic ministry. He did not ask to change one aspect of my life. God, if you just change this one aspect of my life, things will just go so much better for me. He didn't ask to be free. He didn't ask for prayers that he would be free. And, and Paul isn't even, um, in his words, he is begging. That's what, you know, that supplication is. He's not even begging for his freedom. He's not asking for these chains to be miraculously, you know, fall from his hands and then the guards, you know, end up disappearing and then he can walk and people can be like, uh, I don't think that's Paul, you know, from other examples that we have. Instead, he pleads, he pleads that the words may be given to him in opening his mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. He prays for boldness in the gospel that he has the words to say. How often we lose sight of the gospel message and we want to seek to set our eyes on something else. Paul's condition hasn't changed. His circumstances are still the same. He is still imprisoned. He is still under affliction, and he asks for nothing less but that he may have the words to boldly proclaim the gospel. Paul's understanding of spiritual conflict he was in allowed him to have a right perspective on that affliction. His purpose and mission was not being hindered by his imprisonment, but his new perspective gave him his job, his job to boldly proclaim the gospel, that God turned his heart from darkness to light, that God would use his words to turn the people that he would talk to from darkness to light. That was the job of his evangelistic ministry in the first place. That's why he went and planted all these churches to turn hearts, right? And he just keeps asking to do the same thing in his current circumstances. So how often do you go to a brother or sister in Christ and pray for, for a heart change? You don't pray for circumstances to change in their life. Or do you, or, or do you pray for circumstances to change in their life? I mean, some things, yes, truly are evil. Um, circumstances and so forth, yes. And, and I'm not saying that we shouldn't pray for those things. But I am saying that in, in this example that Paul gives us, the laser focus of his life is the gospel. And that is where our heart should be, especially when ministering to one another. How often do we go to one another and talk the gospel to them? Pray the gospel with them. How often are you praying the gospel for your elders, for our leaders. I mean, that's what Paul asked for here. How often do we find ourselves doing that? 
like I said, we, we tend to pray for circumstances over unity. Unity in the gospel change our circumstances. They're at different ends a lot of times. So that's one thing that I've greatly enjoyed about our house gathering um, and kind of going through this Acts concept of prayer structure, the adoration, the confession, the thanksgiving, the supplication, because I think when we go in that order, we have a right frame of our, of our mind and our hearts of who we're praying to, why we're praying to them, who we are to God, and then that can ref- be reflected in our supplications. Um, I think it's good for us to focus on God and what he has done for us. I find that oftentimes when I think of supplication before I think of God, um, it messes my prayer life up. So I think, yeah, I think it's been really helpful for my heart, and I hope your guys' hearts too in, in house gathering, thinking that way about prayer, because obviously Paul's using that example. And sometimes, sometimes, and I think we're all here, we want to pray for change in our life. And I don't think it's necessarily wrong to pray for, for changes in your life. But we just have to have a good perspective that these changes are God-honoring. This is pursuing unity. Because often, oftentimes... Uh, we miss a real problem. I have a feeling that when we worship other people, other things, and pray for those things to be our Savior, that our circumstances or these people may be what we need. Instead of needing and trusting in God, we want to pray and need in these circumstances, in these people. I'm warned. That, is that if that's what your heart is leading you to, you're going down a path of creating disunity. If these people, if these circumstances take hold of your life and you are praying for these things, so to speak, whatever they may be, if it's not gospel-enabled, oriented, you are going down a road to disunity. Our, our perspective should always be gospel-focused. Have you ever been to a fun house, right? So, fun house, right? So you're walking through the fun house, and you have, like, these giant mirrors, right? Okay? And you stand in one of the mirrors, and it just it makes me look normal because it blows me up this way, right? Or it makes you, like, look really tall, and your, like, face is, like, going like this, right? So, I... I <laughs> Uh, I, think it's, I think it's fun um, to go through those and kind of see the wonky shapes and, and all those things. I, I know Marley really likes it. Um, <laughs> I'm just saying her name so she looks at me. Um, but uh, <laughs> we got to think about this. Like, what kind of mirror are you using? Are you using this warped perspective of a mirror to gauge your prayer life, your life around? I mean, we need to use a good mirror, and the only good mirror is a gospel mirror. Uh, 
One of the best ways to pray for unity is praying for our elders. And our elders strive to pursue unity in Christ at all costs. They're holding up the gospel mirror, so to speak, right? That we look into. They're giving us a clear, perf- like a clear perspective, a clear reflection of who we are. I know that, that they are best served when we are praying for them to be bold in that. Because a lot of times we see those mirrors and rightly we don't like what we see. And we want to flee from the situation. Or we want to argue about it. Well, that's not the right gospel mirror. Our elders, they are the under-shepherds of our Lord Jesus Christ and therefore have an extension of his authority. They are the ones, day in and day out, that are holding high this right perspective of the gospel. We look at the mirrors sometimes, and we think they stole them from a fun house. We don't like what we see. We shouldn't sometimes like what we see. But boldness in the gospel has two effects. It has a hide or a thrive You're going to hide from the gospel and what it says about your life, or you're going to thrive in it. If you don't like what you see in humility, your leaders will help you thrive in unity. Are you praying for your elders? Are you praying for their boldness in the gospel? Or do you pray to change circumstances instead of trusting God's word to persevere in unity? It's a good question. I'm going to say it again. Do you pray to change circumstances instead of trusting God's word to persevere in unity? I pray like Paul prays that our elders would be bold in the gospel, and that in every utterance they proclaim the glories of Christ in their lives. We need to pray for the clarity and good communication. I think sometimes we get turned off by what's being said and don't realize that that is the gospel message that is being proclaimed to us, and we're more turned off by the gospel message than the person themselves. Do you get what I'm saying? Maybe? Okay. So, basically, this person, leader, elder, is saying something to you that is gospel-based, and you get mad at them for what they're saying. But it's not them you're mad at. It's the gospel you're mad at because they are ambassadors. We have met and even known people who are extremely intelligent and know God's word very well. They are bold and courageous, and they tell it like it is. And often, it is for self-righteous reasons. 
Stott in the commentary he edited states the important clarification of preaching the word. I think that we often miss with our intellectual self-righteousness. Some preachers lack content. Their substance has been become diluted by fear, and others are bold. They are bold as lions. They fear nobody and omit nothing. But what they say is confused and confusing. Clarity without courage is like sunshine in the desert. Plenty of light, but nothing worth looking at. Courage without clarity is like a beautiful landscape at the night. Plenty to see, but no light to enjoy it. Our elders do a great job of utterance and boldness, clarity and courage. I think they are very great examples of this. Beautiful landscape, enough light to see it. Combination of both. We need to pray for this as well, that they continue and persevere in these two crucial, crucial characteristics of authentic preaching, clarity and courage. Pray for our elders that they may continue to boldly proclaim the gospel with clarity. We have met... Um, Okay, so this landscape, so what's our job in all of this? It's to pray. So how are we to create a place of unity where God's word is being proclaimed with courage and clarity? Do you guys know? How can we create a place of unity? Humbly pray for perseverance in the gospel for one another and for our leaders because Paul goes into next for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak and in this we can see that we are ambassadors of the gospel no matter what the circumstance it was for the gospel that he had become an ambassador in chains. His physical circumstances is because of his ministry. The circumstances that he's in is because of the gospel being preached. I think we oftentimes forget that when we lead in this, we become targets for the flaming darts of Satan. I have in the last week, I shared that with you, It's been, like, I had a horrible dream. It's been in my dreams. It's been in my life. It's been uh, throughout uh, that, that pride. It's trying to just rear its ugly head in, in every aspect of my life. And I have been, and I need to run to the gospel every hour and every moment. I have but the littlest understanding of this attack. On this attack on, a, on an ambassadorship. 
as I am not yet one of your elders. I know of and have seen the afflictions that our current elder body has been through and how their ambassadorship in Christ's gospel has been tried and smeared, smothered, but I can say thankfully to no avail. To no avail. The chains and the circumstances have not changed what they are ambassadors to. Prayer is crucial, but it's not the only thing. For our leaders, they face chains because of which they are ambassadors for. Your leaders walk around with targets on their back. You know the trick you would play in uh, middle school, or at least I did because I was a horrible kid, um, where you would write, kick me on a piece of paper, and then you would stick it like on their back, and you just wait, you know, of course you would be the first one to walk up and kick them. Because, oh, look, you, I, you know, I put that sign on your back and it says kick me. That's what you want, right? No. <laughs> but that's what, our, that's what our elders do. They, they, they put on that kick me sign, except their kick me sign says, I'm an ambassador and I declare the glories of Christ boldly. And that just is like Satan-like laser targeted on that, right? Because we don't, he wants to take those people out. Satan wants nothing more than to find a way to pierce their armor. These targets, like, you can't hide from them. They glow in the dark. They become like the easiest targets. Have you ever heard the term shooting fish in a barrel? That's like, that's like what it is. It's like, it's there. It's plain to see. And here are some evidences of Paul's attack, uh, well, attacks on Paul spiritually, and we can see this a lot in 2 Timothy, and uh, Matt uh, read that earlier, but we can, uh, I I just want to read again, 8 through 13, that remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, But the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect. Tremendous suffering. Tremendous targeting. Paul here is enduring suffering for his people because of Christ. He is treated as a criminal, but his only wrong is proclaiming the word of God. Think about the application of this in our lives. We have to to die with Christ, to live with him. This is how Paul is trying to display what he's going through. Paul further instructs Timothy's in the duties of an elder that would most likely give him chains. When he goes into uh, chapter 4, 1 through 8, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge, the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word, Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears that they will accumulate for themselves, teachers to suit their own passions, and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, 
always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on the day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Satan could um, use us as targets, as flaming arrows. Do you ever think about how you affect other people? Are you too naive to think that you cannot be used for means to destroy unity? Satan could be using you to shoot at the the targets on our elders' back. The chains they could be facing are because of you potentially treasuring something more than the gospel. Satan can and will use people to take out the easy targets. Go back to 2 Timothy. Matt read this too. Remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. quarreling with our words. Think about this. In World War II, the Nazis had a very specific strategy what they would use in warfare. And I think Satan uses the same. What they would do is they would find the higher-ranking officers, okay? Especially when they were, like, storming the beaches or, you know, going in, wherever. They would purposefully target them. Because if they targeted the leader, they knew that all the people following them would be in ruins. That the unity of their platoon or battalion or whatever it's called would be lost. Just be careful that you're not one of those arrows, that you're not one of those pieces of ammunition that Satan is using to take out the leaders who are boldly proclaiming the gospel to you. How do we, how do we work this out? We need to encourage our leaders that they will sp- continue to speak fearlessly the mystery of the gospel. For us, that we would support our leaders as they proclaim the gospel for our good and for the good of the overall kingdom. That we would proclaim this same gospel as it is modeled for us. We can trust God to look towards these men as models for our life, from diligence in the scripture to how they interact even with their children in day-to-day life. Pray and don't become one of those arrows and the chains that want to bog them down and prevent this. Be there for one another. And if it sounds like I'm begging, I am. Be there for one another. 
we can pursue unity to the deepest depths. And that is awesome. It really is. And we have our under-shepherds, but we have our shepherd, Jesus Christ, right? Jesus fulfilled this in the gospel. He was painful to proclaim the gospel even to the point of chains, death. Christ had not done anything wrong. He was blameless in all regards. But as we learned yesterday, it was necessary for him to suffer to become our mediator. We deserve to die as a penalty for our sin, and we deserve God's wrath, but Christ did it. But God in his love and justice made a way. 2 Corinthians 5.16 From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on the behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Christ was fully obedient to the point of death and proclaiming his good news. We are proclaiming something that is not ourselves, but is in obedience to Christ. We need to be willing to suffer. We need to be willing to be like true ambassadors and take the message of the gospel of peace to all. So where do we go from here? What do we do? We trust in the redeeming work of Christ. We believe that we have been bought through his blood to be ambassadors no matter the circumstance. Maybe even seeing that our, our ordained circumstances are a way for us to learn obedience through suffering. Learn obedience to the Father. We treasure Christ and we don't become chains for other people. Are you actively seeking wisdom in this? Paul is great at exhibiting this to us in, in the passage. He's asking for this supplication, for this perseverance to proclaim the gospel of which he is an ambassador to. And we are called the same by Christ, right? Are you trying to be an instrument 
of God or Satan. Be an ambassador of Christ. That's what I say. Staying alert to the war that is going on and pray for perseverance over circumstances. Pursuing unity all the time. Right? I think our concern should be much like Paul's concern. That our mouth may be opened in testimony. That the gospel may be spread freely without hindrance. That we would be a humble people seeking wise instruction. Trusting our Father for the provisions of our leaders. And praying for all. Because against, against this unity principalities and the powers of evil are helpless. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for our leaders. We thank you for your Son, Jesus. That you made him to be sin that knew no sin so that we could be your righteousness. God, we thank you for this battlefield we call our local body where we can pursue unity and practice loving one another. Let's not just leave it here, Lord. Let this spur us on to help bring others into this glorious peace that is offered freely through your gospel. Lord God, we love you, and we pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.